1: Hi, I'm Anoush. I'm Alpha.
0: And I'm Stephen.
1: On today's New Statesman podcast we discuss what we're most interested in finding out from the local election results. And you ask us, does Labour have a positive enough vision? So we're recording on what is being called Super Thursday, when people are voting for elections to the Scottish and Welsh Parliaments, 143 councils in England, 13 directly elected mayors in England, and 39 police and crime commissioners in England and Wales. And of course, if you are a voter in Hartlepool, you'll also be voting for your next MP. Um, we don't want to make any predictions in this podcast, because obviously it's going to come out when some of the results are um, uh, have already been uh, revealed, so we 're going to speak more about what we what, what, what we 'll be surprised by or what we 're looking out for in these results and hoping to learn something new about um politics from them, so the sort of unknown unknowns if you like um alva what what have you What are you most looking forward to sort of finding out from these elections?
2: So I suppose my honest answer is that I'm most looking forward to seeing what happens in Hartlepool, with the caveat that I know that that is ridiculous because the by-election in Hartlepool is not existential in the way that the Scottish parliamentary elections are. I feel personally quite critical of the way Hartlepool has dominated conversation, certainly in, in English political discourse over the past few days. But I'm still kind of swept along with it. And so I think, I, and I think especially having been there recently, I'm interested to see what that result is. Listeners who have been following will know that um, there was a, a, a not terribly reliable looking poll that indicated that the Conservatives could win in Hartlepool by 17 points, um, which I think is likely to be wrong, but it is quite likely that the Conservatives will win there. I'm just really interested to see what the result actually looks like. And then um, I think it'll be no secret to people who heard the last episode that I wasn't terribly impressed by the choice of candidate, um, the Labour candidate or actually the Conservative candidate in Hartlepool. But I'm particularly interested to see whether Paul Williams, the Labour Hartlepool by-election candidate, performs better or worse than all of the other Labour candidates um, who are being elected in Hartlepool, so how he performs relative to the local councils and so on. I think um, we've had all of this mad discourse about how Keir Starmer is or isn't doing and whether the Labour strategy is and isn't working. And I think actually I'm dying to actually have a result from there so we can discuss that properly without sort of Skipping the important bit where we actually hear the results. Stephen, what about you?
0: So I feel bad about this being the thing that I'm most intrigued by it because it possibly A doesn't matter and, and B may never actually be useful information again. But this is the first time that we've had um, local council elections on the same day as Metro Mayor elections. Um, and w- we know, for instance, that Andy Burnham did 20 points better than the Labour Party in 2015. In May 2017, so in a in a much worse set of elections for the Labour Party than the 2015 general election, Andy Burnham did better than the Labour Party, and he actually did better than the Labour Party than the Labour Party would go on to do across um, the Greater Manchester Combined Authority in um, June 2017, a much better set of elections than the 2015 election. We know then um, Ken Livingstone did. Um, significantly better than the Labour Party in the London local elections in 2008, a much worse political backdrop for Labour than the 2006 local elections. We know famously that Boris Johnson um, won re-election in 2012 in a, the only um, sort of uncaviatedly good set of local elections uh, that Labour has had uh, since leaving office. But what we don't know is if you have uh, a Metro Mayor underneath um, yeah, running and underneath you have a bunch of council elections, what happens to the council elections right because i've been talking to people across the the conurbations and one of the i think you know the the like that i mean the whole the whole way that we we've started having by election and local elections discourse before the result is just really driving me round the bend but it's particularly stupid with the um yeah you know, kind of a good way to work out which journalists just uncritically repeat um the spin they're given are anyone suggesting and what will be indicative in this election are the metro mayoral results it's just like yes they were really indicative in 2017 when chris green notably did not lose bolton west in a 20 point landslide like we like the point of having a mayor right the advantage of them and they are drawbacks to them as well but the advantage of them is the idea that they can have uh, a localized mandate that means that they don't get swept aside because their party is is doing well or badly Yeah, you know, i was talking to a conservative council well current conservative council candidate who uh very much did not expect to win at the start of this process and is not sure whether or not they are going to now because they were saying you know it's so hard to tell right you knock on a door and then we have listed as you know voted labor voted for andy street and they go yeah i love andy street i think he's done like you know, they said no they talk about how, particularly, like if you're into in, if you're interested in civic society in the West Midlands, right? You are quite likely to go, yeah. I usually vote Labour, but I really like, you know, what he's done with you know. There's some really exciting bits of urbanism he's doing. And they said, what I couldn't they couldn't work out is when I then went, and are you going to vote for me? And they kind of went, yeah, uh, of course, I, I will also vote Conservative. Just like they're like, is this is is this someone being polite because I'm asking them? or is this someone who is telling the truth? And I basically had exactly the same conversation about another Andy, Andy Burnham in Greater Manchester, where the reverse conversation, right, knocking on doors where they know that these are people who voted UKIP and Conservative, but have also voted Andy Burnham. And he was saying, you know, he goes up this drive, yeah, you know, this um, this guy, you know, he's he's washing his car, and he puts a big thumb up, he's like, Andy Burnham, voting for him. And I was like, are you going to vote Labour in the local council election? And they are like, yeah, Labour, them too, them too. And it's just and, and so like, well, is that, is that them too? Um, I mean, obviously, if they'd done it as un- unenthusiastically as I did there, I think it would be pretty obvious they were to a lot. <laughs> but we, we, we just don't know. And I'm, just, I'm just so intrigued about it. Not least because, OK, in Hartlepool, um, I suspect that despite our well-advertised um, objections and criticisms of Paul Williams as a candidate choice, that we will not be able to say as much as it would satisfy me to be able to, to go, if they hadn't picked him, they would have won. But between the fact that there's a Metro mayoral candidate and a police and crime commissioner and the council, we we're just going to learn so much about how much candidates do and don't matter um, in a way that I don't think we will ever be able to, which will be, actually, I think hugely useful for political parties, right? Because if it does turn out, that actually, um, you know, let's say, as is widely expected, Every incumbent Metro Mayor wins and wins quite comfortably, but the council elections in Bolton, Tameside, Solihull, Wolverhampton happen as normal. Then um, it would suggest something quite interesting about candidate effects. If, however, as I think is more likely, um, what happens is is like a bunch of slightly improbable Conservative councillors are elected in parts of the West Midlands, and some slightly improbable Labour councils are <laughs> councillors are elected in uh, parts of Greater Manchester. That would be, I just think, quite interesting.
1: Yeah, I'm interested in, in both of both of those parts of the elections that, that you've been chatting about. And I, I'm also going to be looking out for um how the Green Party fares. Obviously they they did well in the twenty nineteen elections, but that was a completely different uh, context when there was a sort of a lot of dissatisfaction with the, with the two main parties and you've written your benchmarks up for what would be a good, good night or good election for, for the Greens, Stephen, but they do have this, this, I I think they've, you do have an effect, don't you, from, from doing well in elections is that you gain confidence, you gain confidence in, in your rhetoric, you gain contacts in the press, you know, Um, they've, they've struggled for not being able to do the usual sort of shoe leather, uh, campaigning that they that they're so good at usually um, because of the because of the pandemic, but what they've lost in that, I think they've replaced in a certain professionalism and maturity that I haven't really noticed um, has defined the Green Party uh, as much as in recent times. So I'll be interested to see. Um, sort of where they make any gains, where they make losses, and and whether or not it, it impacts that kind of new confidence that that the party uh, is demonstrating, and also sort of to identify which areas they should be targeting in future. Because in a way, the 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 outcomes of, of these elections don't don't matter just in the sense of how much you know power you've gained or lost across the country. It also matters um, in terms of how it affects. How you lead your party uh sort of in future in future debates on future policies and then in future elections as well, so it could change the course of of how the party sort of presents itself if it has a disappointing night, does it you know go back into its shell does it does it question whether or not it's pitched itself you know to the right side of labour for example or or not? um so i'll be interested to see how how they cope with with whatever the outcome is over these elections and then secondly if i'm allowed a second one it's a little bit more of a geeky one but will will voters remember what what these elections are actually for and also how will the parties cope with the responsibilities that voters have given them so what i mean by that is if you're voting for the devolved um parliaments in Wales or Scotland are you voting on the basis of how uh how how the leadership during the pandemic has been because it's that the pandemic has really highlighted what the devolved areas are you know what your, what your what your parliaments in those countries are actually in charge of um covid-19 has been you know the perfect way of exposing um where where your first ministers have have power and so have people noticed that or or are they going to reward the westminster government more um for those things and in terms of um and in terms of, of 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 governments being able to take responsibility for where they have their powers um are they going to realize that you know when you're when you're voting for your council are they going to realize that people want you know are, are, people want to have a better council. So, I mean, I think that sounds like an obvious thing, but sometimes local government and local elections ignore what you're actually voting for in terms of your local authority, what what services they run, what responsibilities they have the pandemic has exposed lots of those responsibilities as well um so if the government you know has a good night and and uh, and loses you know fewer councillors than than it expected and can declare declare the elections a triumph what will it then do you know in the councils that it's held in the places where it's made headway in in the new electoral map We know that austerity is still ravaging local government. So, I mean, how are the Conservatives expecting to level up if they're going to let this carry on? And, you know, will they be as comfortable, (laughs) frankly, neglecting uh, local government if, you know... If these elections reward them, um, it's a question that I don't think they can carry on dodging for very much longer. Particularly as COVID nineteen recedes, Leveling Up um, was the sort of second plank of them their manifesto after after Brexit. And if they are going to neglect these these councils for any longer and allow them to or, or, or compel them to make further cuts as they are planning on doing uh, in their next budgets, um, then you know they 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 may find a lot of disillusionment and feelings of betrayal. We had we had a good um we had a good poll uh the the new statesman spotlight supplement um had a good poll of councillors which showed that 59 percent of tory councillors have said they've seen no benefit from leveling up in their local area as that gets more acute as the government gets more opportunity to deliver on its promises um then you know it might might be tougher for 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 the government in in terms of how it you know how it appeals to to voters in the kind of councils that it's targeting this time around.
0: Yeah, I think I agree with that. I raised the thing we haven't mentioned, partly because it's the thing which we don't expect to learn anything from, and I actually can't really see what result could happen and would tell us something that we didn't. Um, Yeah, well, I mean, there are lots of results and will tell us lots of things. But what I mean is I don't think this is the result where it's like, hmm, I wonder what these three outcomes could mean. Um, But the least interesting result in some ways... Is and I am yet to yeah. There, is, every poll suggests this is what's going to happen. Um, all um, four of the the, the parties, um, I, say, I say sorry, I say all four. That is that is huge. um Abolish erasure. Uh, all six of the parties in uh, in God, there's even more than that. Sorry, I will stop counting part Welsh, Welsh parties and and make my actual point, which is that every every party I have spoken to believes that the polls are right um support for welsh labor has grown over the course of the campaign i mean yeah as one conservative said what's essentially happened is that what you'd kind of expect which is the weirdness of people saying to pollsters um yeah i think the welsh government has handled this better than england yeah i really like mark Drakeford; he just seems like a really nice guy uh no i think i might vote for Plaid or for the conservatives Although the Conservatives had done a very good job cannibalising quite a lot of the UKIP vote, they think what's also happened is is the voters, yeah, the kind of, if this makes sense, the voters who in the polls kind of didn't look a bit weird, i.e. people saying, like the Welsh government, like Mark Drakeford, voting for Plaid Cymru, voting for uh, the Welsh Conservatives, are now just saying, yeah, I'm going to vote. I'm going to vote for the Welsh Labour Party. I'm going to vote for the party led by the guy I like, which is Wholly uninteresting in lots of ways, and you know, I think just as I think you can't um, you can't separate what's likely to happen to the Conservatives in England from the vaccine bounce. I think it's hard to seeing as it's hard to go. Hmm. Maybe Adam Price should simply have found a way for the Welsh, Welsh government not to have more vaccinated adults than any other part of the United Kingdom. But I think it is nonetheless really important and fascinating that. After twenty-two years, the Welsh Labour Party is still going to be an essential component of the next Welsh government. London has become a, a, a Labour heartland. Scotland has very much not become, is very much not a uh, uh, Labour heartland. Um, seats that had reliably voted uh, Labour up until twenty ten have have you know have, you know massively trended towards the Conservatives, and yet the Welsh Labour Party, the dude abides. I can't believe I just compared Mark Greatford to the Big Lebowski, but I did. But the, the dude abides, and I just think that is both the least interesting thing about these elections, but also just such a fascinating story in its own right.
1: Great. Well, hopefully on our next podcast, we can dissect what the results have actually shown. If you've been enjoying our podcast and want to find out more about what we think and some of our colleagues too, then why not subscribe to The New Statesman? You can get 12 weeks for £12 go to newstatesman.com forward slash subscribe 12. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
0: Nice dress. Uh, it's a, it's a t-shirt.
1: Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health And now it's time for a section we like to call...
0: You Ask Us.
1: So our question is from Matt Taylor. Thanks, Matt Taylor. A lot of criticism of Starmer and Labour is that they're not setting out a positive view of their plans for England and the UK. One, is that fair? And two, what would such a view look like? And three, do they need to set it out at this stage of the electoral cycle? That's three questions. He slipped three questions in there very sneakily. Stephen, do you think that Labour is still not striking a positive enough tone?
0: I kind of think they have the reverse problem. Labour have too many policies, and that's why people keep being like. I mean, what I really love about so much, like, uh, you know, what these results and haven't happened yet show the Labour Party should do, is I am yet to read a solution. Like, the only ones where the solution is something which the Labour Party isn't doing are when it's reinstate Jeremy Corbyn. You might argue that some of the ones which claim they want other things, actually, that's what they're objecting to. But. Yeah, like I have read Polly McKenzie claiming that, oh, you know, their problem is is that they think that, you know, like being like brave, clever and right will help them. It's just like, I don't think, I, I, I think you would have to love Keir Starmer so much that he had a restraining order against you to think that the problem of this Labour Party was just it wakes up every morning and goes, let's just say what we think is the right thing. You have people saying, yeah, I saw like a thread, which I thought was exactly right about the electoral importance of having a visible green policy going but they haven't really added anything It's just like just they announced a huge set of quite interesting green policies and then you know let them sit in the air undisturbed for maybe two hours before going by the way we have a couple of objections to the coronavirus policy i'm going to have the massive disclaimer that i think that while that's a huge problem it, it is a clown's take to believe that if they hadn't done that then these local elections would go differently these local elections are going to go the way they're going to go because 60% of the country thinks the pandemic is the greatest threat facing the UK. And an even larger group of people think that the vaccine rollout has been handled well by the respective governments in charge of it. Despite what I said about how it is, I think, interesting that Welsh Labour is going to be re-elected, it would also be quite surprising if they weren't and if the SNP weren't and the cons- and the, mm. yeah, the Conservatives in England weren't. I kind of think at the moment the Labour Party is kind of like someone who's like needs to cut down the booze and the fags, who then gets knocked down by a car because like they didn't look both ways. Or actually, I guess, I, I don't think they really had the look both ways option. They get knocked around by a car because the car mounts the pavement and drives over them. <laughs> and people go, oh, the problem was the booze and the fags? And it's like, I mean, no, it wasn't. Don't be a clown. And what would it look like? I think it would look like, a, I think it would be two things, basically. Just for them to hammer their green agenda, their positive offer for left voters, and indeed voters of all stripes in the United Kingdom, fortunately. Are in to tackling climate change. And then their sort of their crime policy, where they, oh God, it has got to that point in the podcast already. They just do need to make access for justice a thing. They need to do what they did in the in the early 90s with NHS waiting list, where they turned a real problem into a tangible weapon. And those should be the two things they do. Basically, just so he has the vibe of Keir Starmer's Labour Party. They hate climate change. They hate criminals. Everything they do should reinforce one of those two things until six months before the election, when that is the point for your policies to be uh, to be new and exciting, as opposed to this thing where they have, where, you know, more policy announcements and you can shake a stick at. Why, why do it,
1: Alva? Did you notice that there was much sort of positive messaging um, from from Labour politicians that you went around with in Hartlepool?
2: Yeah, I think that's the that's a good place to start because I think that there are actually so many things you could say in answer to this question, that probably the case study of Hartlepool is an easy way in. This, I suppose the strange thing about the election in Hartlepool is that there are no dividing lines. That I can't really think of, of an election like this, um, where in the town, basically, everyone is in agreement about what the issues are. The, you know, there's a real lack of jobs. Liberty Steel is closing down. There's a lack of investment. There's a problem with crime, so demonstrated by the closure of the magistrate's court and the fact that the custody suite in the police station was closed down in recent years. So you can't try criminals in Hartlepool anymore and you can't hold them in cells, um in, in the town either. And then there's the issue of the hospital. Those are the themes that come up everywhere. Those are all, in different ways, just sort of symbols of how basically everyone in Hartlepool feels that they have been very badly served by politics. That's the consensus. And then on top of that, there's this narrative that I just you know, touched on, that they, they feel like they've been badly served by politicians and they're angry with politicians and with the political system. And you notice when I summarised all the things that have closed there, I didn't say who by. In most cases, it's it's the result of the Conservative government, Conservative decisions and Conservative cuts. But I think that those links are not that clear. And um, for lots of people and the Labour MP, to state the obvious, the Labour MP in Hartlepool had to stand down amid allegations of sexual harassment. The Until recently, the Labour held council in Hartlepool, ha, you know, was was sort of dogged by allegations of bullying. And there was this general sense that the that the councillors were out for themselves and, and really stopped listening to people in Hartlepool. So there's this feeling of just being badly served by politics rather than by any one party in particular. Or when, I think you find it, when you put it to people, you know, who in particular do you feel let down by people, feel let let down by Labour more so than, than the government that has been in power for over a decade. And so Stephen and I were talking about this and, you know, I was saying, you know, it's tricky that the Conservative narrative in Hartlepool is exactly the same as the Labour one. What, what, what was Paul Williams promising? Um, you know, he's identifying, you know, a lack of police on the streets. What's the Conservative candidate promising? More police on the streets. Boris Johnson's up promising that. Um, and Jill Morton, with the Conservative candidate, is, you know, looking down the camera and saying, you know, you've been taken for granted for far too long. So they're kind of they have exactly the same message but people are buying it from the Conservatives more. And I think there is really a feeling that the Conservatives are the ones who can actually provide that investment because of their levelling up agenda, that if you have a Conservative MP, you're more likely to see that money. This is probably like a slightly different question to whether they have a positive vision. But Stephen and I were talking yesterday, you know, what happens if the Labour narrative is the same as the Conservative narrative? And Stephen suggested that, you know, it's the government that wins if, if there's no challenge there. So I think that there actually is, I think Hartlepool is a really big example of the corner that Labour feels backed into where the narrative is, the, the narratives that they would like to, to be putting forward, that there has been a, a real failure to invest in particular areas, a failure to listen to people, is the same one being identified being the Conservatives. They're saying, you know, you haven't been listened to for far too long and we're listening to you and Labour's just copying it. So then in terms of a positive view of their plans... As Stephen was saying, Labour does actually have lots of plans. If anything, they're maybe a bit too detailed. They published that this really, really comprehensive green recovery plan that you know it was a huge, huge document. It wasn't just their vision post 2024, but a sort of interim vision post-COVID of ideas to put to the government. They have all of these ideas, but clearly people feel like They're not hearing a positive, simple vision for Labour's plans. And I think that um, a large part of the problem is that actually they do have these plans, but they're not any different to the Labour plans under Jeremy Corbyn. So they've kept the radical policies in a lot of cases, even though no one gives them credit for that. While moving away from Jeremy Corbyn in terms of his radical messaging and image and, you know, and creating a really stark differential in terms of the response to Labour anti-Semitism. So even though the policy agenda is largely the same, the message that people are are receiving is is really different. I also just think that, you know, then then there are some issues where Labour just doesn't know what it stands for, like on crime, and on defence, I think this this sort of the pattern of abstaining on things is so complicated that you know even sitting in a room of journalists not that long ago, none of us could remember how Labour had whipped its MPs to vote on a particular part of a particular defence bill, and. That's our job for you know journalists from lots of different publications because we don't know ultimately what Labour's direction on that is. They just sort of want to get away with not having a position because they find it too difficult. So I think it's a mixture of like they have a positive view. But they aren't getting a hearing for it because it's the same as Jeremy Corbyn, and then there are other things that they're too scared to take a position on.
0: I think the same as Jeremy Corbyn point is is one that I just don't think people seem to have sufficiently understood. Right? To me, the structural problem with the Starmer approach as it currently exists is that so he's given since he became leader that several speeches that are going to be terrible, and two I think have actually been good. One uh, to the farmers. Uh, not the farm, yeah, the NFE, the National Farmers Union, about um, yeah, reaching out to rural areas and just actually like it was a rare example of where, oh, you can see how this, hey, it's the same policies, but presented by someone who looks like they could play David Cameron in a movie. It's the only time when it's actually I've I've sit there and gone, OK, I, I can see how this can work but that was because it actually had a way that it was new which it was it was like here are the rural policy yeah here are like the rural and sustainability policies which i mean actually like let's face it it's not like Keir Starmer another like north london based vegetarian comes at those policies from a different position than corbyn but presented not in a kind of like here's some sustainability policies for people in cities but here's some sustained, the same policies presented in a way that is um, rooted in the concerns of the people in this room. And that's the only time I've gone, okay, I, I understand what you're doing. It's old, but different. Whereas Keir Starmer giving a great speech about like, oh, you know, this is why I care so much about tuition fees. It's just like, ultimately, so I'll change the channel. This is a policy you had in the last manifesto and the one before that. It is kind of definitionally not interesting. Um, and it is really striking to me yeah, the number of times someone has said to me like, they can't abandon X or like they need to like recover the spirit of 2017. And it's like, will they have have welfare policy now. You know, I mean, I think the people who think then junking the 2017 manifesto would, would necessarily change their position are wrong as well, albeit for very different reasons. But the germ of truth there is that Corbynism cannot be exciting again you can think the policies are still necessary as starmer clearly does particularly on tuition fees right but the offer has to be something that's actually new um not least because the electorally popular and dangerous bits of the 2012 uh offer are the stuff that the conservatives have tried to blunt now yeah I, I think there's an open question about whether or not 10,000 more police or whatever number it is really matters, seeing as they're, you know, being forced to become social workers of last resort. And as a result, police in this country never actually catch any criminals anymore because they have to mop up from, you know, the various cuts elsewhere. But they aren't going to be able to get the joy that Diane Abbott did in 2017 by going police cuts, police cuts, police cuts. So they, they, they do need to find some way of making the old stuff sing a bit. Uh, and it can't only be then it sings a bit when they're speaking to farmers as you know as 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 fond as I am of of farmers, uh, nonetheless.
1: yeah, that's the big challenge, isn't it? Like the policies are there, and the vision is the vision that Jeremy Corbyn laid out during his leadership. but I think it is about vibe, isn't it? and I, I do get a little bit of a deflated vibe when I see interviews with with labor shadow cabinet members. um and even you know when you speak speak to, people behind the scenes who the mood of the party doesn't feel very upbeat, whereas there were times during jeremy Corbyn's leadership despite the factionalism and and infighting there there were times when there was you know definite excitement particularly after the seventeen uh, the twenty seventeen result and particularly after certain policy announcements when when there was a feeling of of optimism within the ranks um and then of course it's a way of talking about your policies so if you're if you're announcing policies to change. Uh, you know, the, the status quo, the way the government runs certain things, you know, whether it's on education or health or social care or welfare, then, you know, some criticism is baked into that. So you are going to have to say negative things. And there's a lot of thinking on the left about how you reframe those arguments so that you're not leading with the negative. So you're not saying, well, you know, air pollution is at X amount because the government broke its promise on X target, so we would do this. Could you flip that round and say, you know, imagine a world where, you know, without air pollution, your child can cycle to school or whatever, and lead with the vision rather than the criticism. Obviously, it's really difficult because the only reason an opposition is announcing new pol- proposals for policies is so that they can get into power and change things that they they don't see as uh, going particularly well. Um, but it's, I think, I I think there's a lot of work being done on that because there is a feeling, sort of, among policy wonks on the on the progressive left or people, you know, people who've worked for for charities and think tanks on this stuff for a long time, that, that the Labour Party still isn't getting getting that kind of framing right. You know, there's an I there's a feeling that they're sort of very good at talking about problems, but not so good about laying out the vision for what it would look like if they fixed the problems or if they had a chance to, to fix the problems. Um I did a piece on low traffic neighborhoods recently and whether or not they'll they'll sort of play a part in in the local election results and um I, I someone was explaining this kind of framing problem to me that if you go you know on the radio and try and argue for low traffic neighborhoods and you you, you know you're armed with stats about cars on the roads and pollution and how much rat running there is then you're gonna get less of a good hearing and uh, than if you sort of lay out what you know how nice it is to to walk down a street that doesn't have motor traffic on it for example it sounds really simple but it's that flip round that I think the Labour Party still needs to get right and obviously the fact that they've got so many policies does get in the way of that as well um but and and it's easy for me to say you know I'm not a politician but I do think that there would be I think there's there's a chance to sort of change the way you talk about austerity and its impacts or you know various other policies the cronyism and the the yeah particularly the cronyism that's another good example where you could kind of lay out a vision for a Westminster and a and a world of uh politics and policy that sort of where the rules are fair um and one, another example is say you know saying the economy is rigged or the game is rigged plays really badly with voters because it just means that they they feel like it's fated and, and they feel like everyone's sort of a part of it rather than seeing a vision for where the economy can work for you, for example.
2: I think that this is a really good question, I would say, because um right before we recorded this podcast, I had um lunch with someone who, you know, it would be professionally obliged to to follow all of this very, very closely and, and would be incredibly well informed. And and they were saying that they're not entirely sure what Keir Starmer stands for. We've been talking about the the Labour strategy and sort of dialing down the more divisive cultural issues and trying to unite the, their their voter co- voter coalition around a, a radical economic message. And they were saying, "Well, where is that?" Labour would say that 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 it's still there. But I do remember within the past few months, I was taking part in. A panel for UCL on whether whether we were going to see a leftward shift off the back of the coronavirus pandemic, if things like furlough and and a sort of more people than ever coming into contact with the state would. Um, would see a you know a lurch to the left in terms of more people supporting greater state intervention and so on, and also whether people would be more interested in radical interventions around changing the working week, in a universal basic income, all of those things. So whether whether you know there's this sort of whether there is a big radical moment in our politics to present a uh, a really big grand vision, and I thought well. to to add value to this panel i should try to see what the shadow cabinet thinks about this so i made a few calls and i have to say that at least one person i talked to was terrified of sounding radical and (laughs) the 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 emphasis was very much on how labor would be responsible with the public finances um, and on how you know the it's the, it's the new economic consensus that, you know, you shouldn't, you know, have tax cuts or you shouldn't have austerity coming out of the pandemic, but, you know, that they're doing it in, in their very sensible, safe way and that they, they have economic orthodoxy on their side, which I, you know, I knew already and, you know, which is absolutely, you know, a core part of Labour's offer. But it did demonstrate that tension that, they didn't want to say yes we're full of exciting ideas da it mm-hmm. wasn't just it wasn't just the it, it was it was actually a question of vibe that you can't go for the yes radical vibe and go for the yes economically responsible vibe in the same breath as easily as maybe you would think and and there is that tension there because that was the difficulty when Jeremy Corbyn was selling this vision people thought it sounded great but weren't necessarily convinced by the economics of it and were worried about that. Um, Labour is really trying to work on that. But it means, I think, that you know if the person I was having lunch with um, doesn't think that Labour has a radical economic offer and this person is incredibly well-informed, then I don't think that the person sending in the question or the people criticising Labour for not having a vision are to blame for not understanding that it kind of does because it's certainly not selling it. And I think we're, we're we've all acknowledged the challenges that Labour has in selling that. But ultimately, I don't think that that positive vision is cutting through.
0: I think to return to you know my you know my chain smoker who gets hit by a, a car mounting the pavement. Um, it, it's the, it's the flip side of that, right? Is is the car because the chain smoker keeps drinking and and eating too much fatty food no um is that chain smoker um on a trajectory to live a long um emphysema free life no i don't think any of the kind of yeah i feel yeah one of us oh yeah one of us uses the term they don't have a clear vibe yeah like every other week basically Mm -hmm. and is the lack of a clear vibe the problem today no but it obviously is a bigger problem than the problems they have today all of which um they basically just need to calm down grid it out and like that stuff will take care of itself but i think they really do need to think about exactly as alva says right if you want to be reassuring you've kind of got to like you can you can have plenty of radical policies if you want but i just continue to think that like the labor together idea of like oh you're reassuring and you're radical i'm just like you're one or the other and i kind of think then if you look um, you know, if, if you have like a strong chin and you look like you're from central casting and you, um, and you know, you have a very corporate style, right? He has a very corporate style of leading the, I don't mean that in a business sense, I mean any yeah, kind of, he has run a big, cor- yeah, a big modern, modern organization, right? That is the way Keir Starmer approaches politics, the way he approaches running the Labour Party. Now, yeah, he also has like a bunch of like views about how he wants society to change. And yes, he is leading the Labour Party in a position to the left of Ed Miliband, but. But he's never going to convey that. I actually think it'd be better off if their vibe was duller than they are. Like I think the Cameron thing is exactly it, right? I think it, you say now David Cameron was to the right of Boris Johnson's government, and people just do seem to think you're you're just like you know you're crazy or you're a Lexiteer. Um But it's true. It's just the Cameron could not have presented himself as anything other than a, I'm just a nice guy with a bowden jumper. Whoopsie, <laughs> did I just shrink the state? Um, and I think if there is a path to victory for this Labour Party, it is a kind of similar kind of, I'm just a calm and boring guy and we wouldn't do anything bad. Oh, by the way, have we um, taken quite a large chunk of the economy into state ownership? Oh, well, I must have been one of them things, I guess. They certainly, I just think, are never going to convince people, not least, you know, because... We as an industry cover things through conflict. He's going to be in conflict with the Corbynites throughout this Parliament because, uh, yeah, well, because of of the way both he and they handled the EHRC um, report on the day itself, and that means then it doesn't matter what he says. We will always, I think, as an industry, write him up as being to the right of where he actually is. So I think he therefore like needs to try and win from that position. Not from that policy position, but from that vibe. Um, he, he can't, he, he's not going to be able to change. You know, what people are never going to believe that Keir Starmer is, uh, is exciting in the same way that uh, other than, uh, you know, quite wonkish people like me, people still don't really believe Cameron was like a massively radical and transformative right wing politician. Um, You've kind of got to dance with the vibe that you bring.
1: You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anoush Shekelian, and my colleagues, Alva Ray and Stephen Bush. You can find me on Twitter at Anoush underscore C. You can find me on Twitter at pronounced Alva.
0: And you can find me on Twitter at Stephen KB.
1: We're produced by Chris Stone and our music is Devil with the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. Please leave us a review and don't forget to subscribe.
0: Even on a budget?